Hey guys, I'm Adam Rapport. This is the Bon Appetit Foodcast. All right, this week we have on Ivan Orkin and Chris Ying, co-authors of the Gaijin Cookbook, Japanese recipes from a chef, father, eater, and lifelong outsider. Ivan is the owner and chef of two Ivan Ramens uh, here in New York City. Used to live in Japan where he operated two uh, very successful ramen restaurants and got a widely celebrated reputation as like the one American guy who could open a ramen restaurant and succeed in Tokyo. And Chris is the co-founder and former editor of The Late Lucky Peach, RIP. He's the author of last year's You and I Eat the Same, and he is a big uh, honcho over at uh, David Chang's Major Domo Media. Uh, I chat with both of them about the book and how it came to be. After that, Carla Music is in the studio for our final, at least for now, installment of our Test Kitchen Editor's Top 10 Cooking Rules. But before we get started, we are celebrating our annual list of the Hot 10, the best new restaurants in America, with a massive party on Saturday, October 19th. Uh, the chef and owners of all 10 of this year's restaurants will come together for an over-the-top bash. Uh, there will be endless food from each of the restaurants, plus an open bar featuring wine, beer, and spirits. Uh, and you will have first access to limited edition BA merch. And you will get to hang with the whole BA crew. Yes, both Brad and Claire will be there, and I'll be there, and Molly and Andy and Carla, the whole gang. Buy tickets now at bahot10.com, bahot ba10. Com. We promise it'll be a night to remember. All right, let's do this. What did each of you guys have to eat so far today? Nothing, because I uh, intermittent fast as best I can, so I try to eat not that much every day. So not, I had a piece of gum. What? Yeah. I ate like five to seven hours a day. You eat five? What do you mean? Oh, you're saying? So I start eating at 2 p.m., finish at 8, eight or 9, and that's all I eat. You're the worst. That was and, Chris uh, saying you're the worst. That was Ivan talking originally. Which, I don't understand. Explain this theory to me. So what's, how does Dude, this work? Are you all right? Really? You don't, you don't like no. you live in New York and you don't know the hipster diet of the moment? I, I, try to, I, I subscribe to the Greeks. I just moderation, you know? Try, right. I try not to snack all day. And how old are you? 49. Okay, well, I'm 56, yeah. so okay. you're, you're, we're not that far no, apart, no, but, it, but it catches yeah. up fast. You know what I've done? I've really cut down on my sugar intake the last couple of years. Yeah, I how, have too. How are you looking at Adam Rappaport right now and trying to talk to him about health and lifestyle? Look at this guy. He's what like a mean? Greek god. I know, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, look at him. I, that's what I meant when talking about the Greeks, like Adonis and stuff, yeah. <laughs> I, follow, I follow what my father Zeus did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Look at this guy, He's man. Skinny, man. Can't teach He's skinny, man. He's freaking skinny. You know, I had to. You know, I ate this morning. I ate the rest of that hoagie from last night. Ooh, oh, let's talk about that. Ooh, the Ivan, the the corner slice, uh, corner slice, like a uh, nine pound hoagie on house made. What what is that thing called? Oh, it's a semolina ro- a roll that we're hero that we're making right now. Yeah, and what's in there? Uh, oh my God! There's all. I mean, all kinds of Italian. I don't know. It was. Cold it was cuts. This is made by you and your people at Corner Slice at our nice. pizza place in the uh, Gotham Market, and it's it's a really good version. Yeah, the heartburn feels incredible right now. I don't get heartburn. My whole chest is on fire. Wow. Maybe you're, have, maybe you're have, dying. Did it have uh, <laughs> shredded uh, iceberg in there? Had shredded iceberg that nice. had gotten nice and soggy, soggy overnight. Yeah. You know, just so it was like <laughs> like wet confetti. <laughs> it was totally wet confetti. It was just it felt like cooked bok choy. The by problem this with that with that with an Italian uh, hero like that is you you say that. That you're just gonna have a bite or two, and then mm, and then yeah. you just have like an empty wrapper. Well, you're not gonna. You're gonna at least eat a half. Yeah. Well, yeah. we we split a large sandwich, and Chris actually. I think Chris forgot about it. I don't think it was that he didn't want to eat the whole thing. He forgot. Whereas no, I, was I knew just, specifically that I was gonna eat it this morning. I, I my disgustingness is planned. 
Okay, oh, this is I'm going to segue to your book in Japanese cooking. <laughs> I'm going to do this here. One, one thing that's really popular in in Japan is kewpie mayonnaise. Uh, I am a big, big mayo guy. I will put mayo on my Italian heroes. I get a lot of flack for that on the social media and stuff. Where do you stand, Ivan? Well, I'm exactly the same as you, except I substitute kewpie mayo for ketchup. So I put ketchup on everything. But what? Uh, wait, what? You substitute ketchup for mayo? So you put ketchup on a sub? Well, I don't put ketchup on a sub, but He's I have to say where you stand on mayo on a sub. On a hero, will you, will you put I, mayo I, on a hero? I think a vinaigrette is really the way to go. Myself, I, I do ma- a vinaigrette and mayo. It's okay, <laughs> Chris. <laughs> I don't see. I don't. I, these these are. Uh, these debates are in the New York imagination. We don't we don't have sandwiches in San Francisco. We have tacos. That's oh. true. That's true. You don't have sandwiches in San Francisco. We don't have sandwiches, truly. Today's uh, discussion, uh, we're talking about Japanese recipes from a chef, father, eater, and lifelong outsider, the Gaijin Cookbook, Ivan Orkin and Chris Ying. I love the introduction to this book. Reading it, we learn about... You, Ivan, coming to the terms with being a gaijin, living in Tokyo, the fact that your first wife passed away, we learn your three kids' names, we learn your obsession with Japanese cooking, uh, and this is all on the first page of the book. Right. You guys really put it out there. How did that collaborative process work? Because you also talked about the collaborative process as a writer and, and chef working together. Yeah, we, we, we do put it all out there in maybe even like one paragraph to start this book off because... We did write an entire other book about Ivan's life story and, and how he came to, to find Japan and, and, and open two ramen shops there and then the whole deal. And this book, we really, uh, the collaborative part of it was that we sat down in the beginning and said, like, this is going to be a book that's going to help people cook at home. This is going to be something that's actually useful. It's going to be the opposite of everything I've ever done. Uh, and so we wanted we wanted to dispense with some of those formalities. Wait, are, you, are you saying like the 900-page Noma fermentation book wasn't super home cook friendly? <laughs> I mean, no. It, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't say whether or not I've done any of the recipes from that book that I that I edited. Um, I, I told you. This, I texted you at the time we had on uh, Renee Rizepi when that book came out. Um, for a book that should have been remarkably dense. It was fascinatingly easy to read. That was a much. I was like, "Wow, this book is actually fun to read." A six hundred page book on fermentation. I'll take a little credit for, for the fu- the the funness to to read. You know, I take no credit for the science or, or, or recipes in that book. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I for for as long as I've been doing this, I make stuff that is. How many backflips can you do before you make this recipe? How crazy can it be? How how new and innovative and and how impressed will my friends in the industry be but Ivan and I sat down we were like this is gonna be a book that's gonna be the stuff we eat at home and we're gonna we're finally gonna make something useful so we we dispensed with all that stuff super quickly and and wanted to dive straight into what this book is about so we'll get to the food because there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about but within the introduction whatnot sort of set in the table for this book could you have written this book yourself Ivan like why did you need Chris well I'm not a writer I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm an okay writer, and if you can compare to me and maybe average people, I think I'm actually not a bad writer, but, but Chris is a, is a genius. I mean, he really... I mean, hey, hey, come on, come on. No, he really is. It's, it's, it's not just that he's a good writer, because he's a really good writer. He can, he can listen to a whole story and then, like, shuffle it so that it really makes sense, but... But what he does even better than that is he organizes things and he's able to think about how 
the the you know the order should be so that it would make sense to people and so i threw at chris all kinds of ideas and recipes all kinds of stuff and then you know it's always fun for me to talk to him and then read what he's written later and i and i'll read i'm like oh wow i did say that but i said that at like a totally different time and then but he put it all together and and it, but it's none of it's gratuitous it makes sense and it should be where it is and yeah. so to me i think I like to do things really well. I really don't like doing anything that I think is not going to be the best. And I want this book to be the best Japanese cookbook ever written. And and I think while, you know, it's an obnoxious claim, so I'm not going to make I'm gonna it. I'm going to say it's the best Japanese cookbook written by a Jewish guy who lives in Long Island <laughs> with his Chinese-American collaborator. Yes, you I know? would say that that is accurate. There is that other guy who lives near you in Long Island who uh, wrote, a, wrote a book with a Thai co-author. Yes. It's a little bit better than this one. Yes, yes. But, uh, but I think that, you know, I, I think when you – I think part of my success in general in my life is I'm good at – taking on things that I'm really good at and then delegating or sharing or collaborating on well, stuff that I'm not. Well, you write about in not only that uh, as a the co-writer's one of his or her big duties is to sort of channel the voice of the chef, which I think Chris does remarkably well. It really sounds like you're talking to us. Um, but also the fact that you want that collaborator to sort of challenge you and get you to think more and put thoughts out there that you might not have sort of asked yourself if you just well, been no, that's, wrong. Well, no, that reminds me of back from the first book, and, and, and we were talking about when I, when I first worked at the Japanese restaurant when I was 15, and Chris was like, so tell me, like, what were you thinking on that day that you were, and I was like, dude, I was 15, and he's like, I need more information, <laughs> and I'm like, but I, but I, I can't remember, Chris, it was, I, was, I was 15, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's... it's <laughs> uh, we, we, I think we do have to like push each other a lot, um, but we've like it, it's ridiculous, like how annoying both of us can be on our own, and yet we don't fight. <laughs> it's 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 kind of remarkable. Like we, I think we have a relationship that's based on constant low level bickering, <laughs> uh, which means we don't have like a big blowout ever. You know, because you can, keep it at a simmer. Yeah, we keep it at a simmer, and it's like you know that it, it's it's like thriving on that conflict to some degree in like a healthy way, if if that's even possible. But you know, it, it was you know Ivan Ivan wanted to do a book about Japanese cooking, and he had all these recipes and all this stuff that we wanted to do, and you know, like the organizational part for me was like, well, we can't just. I don't. Want, I wouldn't want to buy a book that was just like Japanese recipes. But that's Stop. and that's that's if I could interject is that that's the problem. There's so many cookbooks, and most of them are not that valuable. They're just really lists of recipes, and yeah. which is fine. And everybody wants to have a few of those. They're they're not bad to have. No, but but, what, but I think the the reader wants a relationship. They want to know who that person is who's speaking to them. Yeah, yeah they and, want and, a connection. And a lot of chefs write books, and they don't you don't walk away with a sense of why they chose those recipes or why they're important to them. And I think, I mean, anybody can get a blueberry pancake recipe, yeah. but you know, wh why did you choose it and why is it important? Yeah, there's like, I mean, there's a bunch of books, I'm not gonna name names, but by chefs who I'm really interested in, the book comes out and you're just like, oh, okay. It's like, where I know the chef, I know he or she has a lot of voice personally and it doesn't make it onto the page because of the writer they worked with, they didn't have that tension maybe that you guys have. Do you, um, let's talk about the recipes because you're talking about Japanese cooking and one point you make, Ivan, in the book is that I think a lot of Americans think of Japanese food and they think of, you know, they think of Jiro dreams of sushi and it's like, oh, it's obsessive and it's precise and there's that element of fetishism there and you make the point like, well, yeah, there is that, but mostly what people eat in Jap Japan is like anywhere. It's like it's a lot of home cooking and it's food that's probably a lot more accessible 
And quite frankly, it's, think. it's that way with everything. I mean, you know, with all those fancy cookbooks that have the four-day recipes, even for professional chefs, that's a project you have to put time aside for. At the, in the meantime, you still need to get food on the table for your family. And, you know, this book really turned out to be a real just a, a journal of all the food I cooked for my family. And, and you know, I, I did I did go back and redo every single recipe. I made myself, you know, Chris would be like, did you, did you time the amount of time it took to saute the onions? And I'd be like, oh, no, I didn't. He's like, you got to do it again. Because home like, cooks don't do that. No. Home cooks and, just make it. And, and you're like, is it, was that a, a large yellow onion or a medium yellow onion? You're yeah, like, this I is don't how, know. Was that onion? This is how we ended up with like decades of th- that classic instruction of like, brown the onions. Uh, it'll take about two minutes. And you're like, anybody who has ever browned an onion knows yeah. that you cannot brown an onion in two minutes. You know, like that's, well, that's the classic thing. If you, if you look at old cookbooks, like the original Joy of Cooking and stuff going way back, there was an assumption that the cook actually knew how to do stuff. They yep. knew how to make biscuits, but we're just going to tell you, like, in terms of chilling the butter for how long, all that sort of stuff. Like, well, you, you already know how to do that, so we're just going to walk you through this version of it. Right. I think right. nowadays, as you guys, when you do cookbooks, it's like editors and publishers are always like, well, you can't assume that the reader knows how to do this, and you need to explain that. And then you're like, well, do we need to explain everything? And you're like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. And it, but it was really, in, in a way, it was really fun to sort of sit back and, and rethink all of these things because everything in this book and I keep telling Chris I mean last night I got home and my wife said are you hungry hon I, I made I made curry with the cubes but she used you talk some, about that whether you have to make your own curry or whether it's okay to buy right. like the little well, bouillon style cubes yeah we only use the cubes yeah and so she had leftover vegetable soup she made the day before she made it with the cubes she had some fried shrimp in the fridge and I Let put together dinner so your wife is Japanese in Japan, are the cubes just accepted? Like, yeah, if you're a home cook, you're not. That's totally fine. Every, yeah. yeah, I mean, they have cubes for for cream stew too. Well, this was the whole point of. Uh, I mean, to your point, Adam, what you were talking about, it's like there's this preciousness around Japanese yeah. cuisine and culture, and you know, like if you're not wearing the right kimono when you're cooking this thing like you it won't turn out properly do you wear and a kimono like, when you cook chris <laughs> yeah but i did that before i was cooking yeah. japanese food i do that all the time i'm always in a, i'm in a kimono right now but um no that was a that was a hugely important part of of the book to me too aside from trying to communicate these recipes and, and getting this out there was you know it, it was eye-opening to me the first few times the first time i went to japan with with ivan and and uh, sort of learning at his feet has been really eye-opening about Japanese culture and and I it was important to me to dispel a lot of that notion that you know the Japanese would would never use a microwave or they would never use the the curry block cubes or you know like every time they they make a dish with potatoes they harvest it by hand from their you know their gardens or something like that's just not that that in its own way is you know it's it's, it's reverence for Japanese people but it's also like a weird pigeonholing of like mm-hmm. all Japanese people as this mystical yeah. you know el- you have a, lot the, a lot of the same challenges like people who work long days they live in crowded cities they come home they need to make some dinner totally quickly. exactly right. yeah. exactly you uh started at the very beginning I guess of, of, of home cooking um, I was interested to learn I mean, you, you're not a rice cooker person I am a rice cooker person. I went. I am actually a rice cooker person. What happened was actually is that I lost faith in rice cookers for a little while. But I think it actually you could translate to be I'm, I'm a cheap guy, mm-hmm. and you have to buy the good ones that yeah. cost about five hundred bucks. And our when ours broke, and so I went ahead and I bought a hundred and fifty dollar one, and it just decimated our rice. So for a while, I was using one of those little stub. Uh, uh, yeah, you uh, say uh, on your in your. Nice intro on this. Was it a 
one and a half quart rice pot. Yep, it was like this little heavy duty, you know, cast iron pot. And I did the one knuckle method, you know, where you, you put rice in and you can put any amount of rice you want as long as the water is covered and your, the tip of your finger touches the rice and the water stops at your first knuckle. And it works every single time and I make rice that way. Sure. <laughs> sure it does. Okay, all right, go, go ahead. Sure it does. It does. What do you mean? No, no. it works that way after well, you you've made it a million times. You have massive knuckles. No, it works that way after I, you've made I, it. I can, there's a couple of things. I'm a decent cook, but I'm not like a, I'm not like an expansive home cook, but I can do some things well. I always fuck up rice. Yeah. And I can't, I just like can't, I'm like, why is it, did I not stir it enough? Did I not rinse it enough? Was the heat too high? Well, this is why I think like that, I mean, the rice cooker comes in handy for the heat thing, but like this was like, you know, the point of that chapter was yes, like the knuckle thing works after you've done it a million times. But, you know, I, I had, I, I had a weird rice cooking slump too, where like my rice was just like so awful over and over and over again. And finally, when I decided like, I'm just going to measure this every single time. Uh, like my rice is perfect, and like that's kind of the thing. Like I, I'm giving Ivan a hard time because he like is he is a proponent of the knuckle thing. But like I just did it the other the day; it was perfect. Thing. And I used it with long grain rice, and I made like it was perfect. Sure, but you're you're a rice. You have a rice cooker. At home, I'm trying to like sell our book over here, and I'm just trying to sell his <laughs> stupid knuckle method. Uh, are you a rice cooker guy? I am a rice cooker guy, but I actually, I, I, I mean, the best rice comes out of, you know, the, the stovetop ones, honestly. Like, out of either that stob thing or, like, a donabe makes the best rice, yeah, The donabe with the double lid, yeah. those, those, are, those are cool. That makes perfect rice. Yeah. And I'll also add that that fresh, freshly harvested rice. When you're in Japan and you buy the more expensive <laughs> rice, it's so good. It's so good. So instead of bringing back a kimono from Tokyo, bring back some rice. <laughs> Unlike um, on the Western side, though, you do not salt the rice in Japan, correct? No. No, no, never. No, why would you? It tastes I really I good know. the way it is. Well, I would, it doesn't need any help. Oh, gosh. <laughs> See, man, this is, this is what I'm talking about. Low-level bickering 24 hours a day. I was, uh, I got really hungry. There were, there's the recipe in here. I don't know if it was one of your kids' recipes. You were talking about the, um, the pork, the, like the crispy pork cutlets, but you make like the sauce, you make the cutlets yeah. a, a floured and then fried and then make the sauce and put them back in there. Right. Can we talk about that one? Yeah. I, that made me really hungry. What's yeah. that one called? For some Cat- reason, Cat- I don't. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's what, that's ba- essentially a, a, uh, um, a crispy pork cutlet that, that, that's then finished in onions and dashi and scrambled and, and, and whipped up eggs that you cook. Well, or, no, no, or, there's a po- there's that one, the katsudan, I know that one, but no, there's another one was like uh, you cut 12 pieces of pork tenderloin, pound it, right, flour it, fry it, and then you've got like kind of a mirin soy thing and you put the cutlets back in the pan. Oh, the, the shogayaki. Sauce. Oh, shogayaki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a- yeah well, it's, but that, that's flour, I think. Yeah, not, yeah, not, flour. yeah just yeah. flour. So not, what's going not, on? Yeah, so that oh, one. So that is like, that is probably in my top three all-time dishes that we eat like at least four times a month That's when, That's what you wrote on the intro. And I'm like, is, I want to make that four times a month. You could make it. It's so easy. So what do you do? Do you buy a pork tenderloin and then cut it up yourself? First of or? all, you can, you can use a pork tenderloin. You can use a pork loin. It's nice to pound it out a little bit. You know, to me, a one real pro tip is that tenderloin because you you cut them and then you pound them, and so you you know you break the fibers a bit, and it's already pretty tender. Yeah, and so it comes out real nice and pretty thin. You said about a quarter of an inch. Yeah, yeah, and, and just dust it in flour, yeah. dredge it in flour. Yep. What, what's our, yeah? No, but seriously, oil wise, that's always interesting a, in terms of oil. But are you just like a, I'm just a, a, I'm just a oil? canola oil yeah. guy, generally speaking, and I usually have a. Um, actually, l- lately I've been buying like really premium uh, sesame oil, and and uh, I always squiggle a little bit of that in there, and it gives a nice little uh, perfume uh, uh, without 
going too heavy. But uh, uh, that is that is a lovely dish, and, and then and, and then kids so you, love you, it. You fry it up, you take the cutlets out, and then into the pan goes what? Um, into the pan goes that one has uh, uh, onions and uh, and teriyaki sauce poured over the top, and you yeah ginger. No. It's like a super ginger. Oh, it's ginger, one. and then you add a lot of ginger. Yes, I don't Chris know. Cool, man. Naked head cool. over there. And then you. And then Ivan's you, never made these recipes, and so I'm just kidding. And then you put the cutlets back in the pan with yes. the sauce, kind of like yes. smothered pork chops. Style, it's totally right? like they, smothered yeah, pork chops. Like smothered pork and like smothered pork chops is like the only analog I think in like known kind of American cuisine that like that does this thing of. Uh, that you'll see it in a lot of I mean, Japanese food, but a lot of other Asian cuisines where you take this like crispy fried thing and then just like douse it with liquid. Yeah, yeah. Emil, Emil like, Stonic at Bon Appetit, he did a whole essay about that, the crispy, soggy phenomenon of, yeah. of sometimes with Chinese food, sometimes with uh, like Italian-American where you get like the chicken francese sort of thing and then the sauce goes over it totally. and it's crispy yeah. and soggy all at the same time and you're like, Chicken francese is one, oh of, one of the greats. Oh, it's so great. Oh my God. There's a fine line sometimes between Chinese American cuisine and Italian American cuisine. Yeah, when you for get sure. to the, the chicken cutlet portion of the menu, but that's like that's that's the whole thing, right? Is like the, these universally delicious things that that like cut across these these borders. Like that's that's a huge part of, and it's it's weird. Just like I mean, like Bon Appetit is a is a uh, magazine, and and like all of your media reaches everybody in the country. I'm sure like this is not a surprise to you, but like it's been really surprising putting this book out to me. Like how unfamiliar people are with Japanese food. Mm. Like I'm yeah. sure with an audience like a huge audience like you have like you 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 realize like not everybody lives in New York not everybody lives in San Francisco or L A like you you sometimes have to introduce these ideas and like it's been it's been eye opening for us like well you, you you guys sort of grapple with the notion of ingredients and like okay there's a lot of things that you can get at a basic grocery store these days some things that you're gonna have to go online to order or maybe if you if you do have an Asian market in your city you can go to and you have a sort of a, a glossary in the back. And it's always that question of like, how specific and specialized do we want to get? Or at what issue instances can we say, you know what, we can actually leave that out and the recipe will still be fine. Mm -hmm. how, did you, how did you sort of deal with that? Well, there's only really five ingredients. I mean, it's you know, it's it's a, a soy sauce and meat in, which is the seasoned. Uh, Ivan, you rice have like an eight-page like <laughs> glossary in the back with like forty-eight ingredients. Yeah, did but he, you could. But did, you could. Did he work on this book? He's never. You, this is the first you, time he's ever you seen you this can, book. You can. You <laughs> he's can. Still waiting, he's still waiting. on his galley. <laughs> you can do it with sake, meat in, soy, sugar, and katsuobushi. You're 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 most of the way there. Yeah, most of the time. I always I had that issue with my editors. It's always like. If you have too many ingredients in a recipe, when the reader looks at it, it and as I kind of go back to my days when I was at GQ, if they see a suit that costs two thousand dollars, they're just going to turn the page. Right. And if they, if someone sees a recipe with too many ingredients, they're just like, I'm never going to make that. Yeah, I, I, I used to, I used to cherish being a pain in the ass about that stuff. You know, like. People would ask for a, a substitute for chrysanthemum greens, and I'd be like, "No, you'll die if you make this with anything <laughs> except for chrysanthemum greens." But you know, I mean, to Ivan's point, you can order everything in this book from from Amazon or any any sort of online retailer, with the exception of Mentaiko, like spicy cod rope. But you know, it, it 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 to be totally honest with you, it didn't come up that often. Like there weren't recipes that Ivan was sending me that were like six-day projects with 400 ingredients, three of which he had brought back from Japan, uh, one of which was alive. Like, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> you did sort of cordon off that one section of the obsessive sort of totally. projects. Yeah. If you want to go in, do make your own homemade this and that, and roll them out, yada, yada, you can, and here's a little section. Otherwise, everything else. What I liked about the book also is 
as you allude to in the book, so many Japanese cookbooks, there is that sort of air of like reverence and almost austerity. Here's lots of shots of you and your kids and wife and like yeah. literally like the kitchen table. But I just, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a loser. I don't, I don't cook, <laughs> and I don't cook any of that stuff. I mean, maybe all these chefs. But that's really, why you go uh, to a restaurant. Yeah, you, well, no, I, pe- no one cooks that stuff. At I all. totally agree. And and every once in a while, I'll crank up my smoker and I'll do something all day long and I do it. And it's fun, but I don't cook. I mean, I come home. I never have my head spinning around with kids and jobs and I mean, yeah, deadlines. And I mean, who has time to sit and do all This is what we talk about stuff? is like when we're at home cooking, it's like, how do I minimize the number of dishes I have to do later? Yeah. And like, how do I keep things clean and use the least utensils? And have and, it be delicious. And have it be delicious. And like, that's that's why that's why that didn't come up that often. Like, I just, I, like I said, I used, to, I used to be like the biggest snob about this stuff. And I realized like there's nothing more useful or noble or important than 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 helping people put food on the table, which is like, you know, I, I think that three, four years ago, I would have been like, who cares about, yeah. about that? Like, that's not who I want to talk it's, to. It's like, I always say, you know, give people a reason to make this recipe. Don't give them a reason to not make it. And it's yeah. not only and, that. And I, if no one cooks <clears throat> the recipe, what's the point of putting all those ingredients? And in? I think it's also that, I you know. I wish that you had that, just said that yeah. to me when we were at Lucky Peach, man. <laughs> just, like, put that on a wall somewhere, you know. But no, back then, there was way too many ingredients in bottom teat <laughs> recipes, too. And I was just yelling at my editors all the time. And they weren't listening to me. Well, it's just, it's just you know, at the end of the day, that's, you know, there's always going to be people when some famous chef does a really geeky book. And the people who buy it might really enjoy it. And it's fun to read those books. But yeah, they have a totally different value. And that's not the book we wanted. We wanted to have a very broad book. We wrote our first book together. It was super niche. It did quite well, and I think people enjoyed it. And we, and once again, even in that book, I tried so very hard to say, hey, we're not like busting on you. Here's how to hack this, and here, you don't have to have this perfect ingredient. If you don't have it, substitute this or that. Don't worry about it, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of don't worry about stuff, because I, I like when people cook. I'm so, you know, I'm so happy when I hear people enjoy themselves in their home. And it's like, look, don't worry about it just if you don't have it I, I posted on Instagram the other day that I did one of our recipe, recipes I, I did our buta kimchi right the pork with the kimchi I was like going to ask right? about that and one, I yeah. didn't I didn't have any uh, green cabbage so I used Napa cabbage and I didn't have enough raw pork but I had like all this leftover tenderloin that I barbecued so just that <laughs> yeah, but you know what it works it just works and it's and you end up having it's so much better than well, ordering out yeah I think that's always a, any good recipe should serve as a template for a dish it doesn't does not need to be like zero directly like yeah if you can't have this cabbage get that cabbage you know you'll you'll figure it out the only problem is always like do you ever get this one where it's like this recipe sucked. Oh, yeah. It was like awful. It was so bad. Like the, you know, it's like this. It's the buta kimchi. It's it's pork belly with with cabbage or with with, with kimchi. And I made it. Oh, it, was, it was awful. This 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 magazine sucks. This book sucks. <laughs> um, I mean, I did have to substitute uh, pheasant for uh, yeah. cabbage. Or, or and, I, I did use uh, tofu instead of pork belly right, because I'm vegetarian. Right, right. And I didn't have kimchi, so I used egg noodles. Like I was like, what? My That's favorite, not my, fault. my favorite bad review of Ivan Ramen of all time was that someone said. It was the worst Thai book they ever bought, <laughs> <laughs> which I agree with. It was—it's the worst Thai cookbook. Ivan, do I need a Donabi in my life? You certainly do not need a Donabi in your life. But if you happen to find a place where they're selling one, or if you're in Japan and you see a beautiful shop, I—I def- I mean, they're—they're they're lovely, and they last forever. My Donabi, I bought 
25 or 30 years ago, and I still use it, and it's... What do you like about it compared to, like, a basic Staub or Le Creuset sort of pot? I mean, I, personally, I think they're quite similar. They're more porous, so they're, they, you know, they, they, they behave a little di- differently than cast iron, um, but they do similar things that cast iron does. You know, it holds heat, and uh, um, and what it does better than cast iron is they're more beautiful. Bring and, them to the table. Bring them to the table. I mean, we didn't talk about cooking at the table in this book, but, I mean, in, in my home, and especially when I lived in Japan... Everybody in Japan has a, a little gas burner that they can put on their table. We were literally just talking about that in an ideas meeting today and with hot pot, shabu shabu, that sort of stuff. And you're always like, well, to who, in, Amer- in America at least, not that many people have the little burner they can bring to the table. Right, but they sell them everywhere. Cool and yeah. once again, with the advent of internet shopping, I mean, it's a click away. But, so, but the whole Denabi section, I mean, yeah, chicken and vegetable rice, uh, pork and miso ginger stew, pork and root vegetable stew with shirataki noodles. I mean, I was getting, I'm like, I would eat that. I would eat that. But also that notion of looking at these dishes, what I liked about them was like, I would eat that and I could totally make that. You know? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully that's the thing. And <laughs> what's also fun is that, once again, we do all these interactive things. We have the Tamaki Sushi Party. We have the Instant Ramen Party. And the while we didn't really touch on this because of, to your point, that people don't really have these burners in their homes and we didn't want to complicate anything, the Donabes are also the same thing. You know, you have in, a, in an Asian home, and I'll say in an Asian home, not just in, in Japan, but across Asia, I think you come to the table with vegetables and meat and broth and you have everything simmering and then everybody eats and then as it disappears you just add more stuff and put the lid back on and you keep eating and then when you lift the lid off everything's cooked again mm-hmm. and you just keep eating all night and adding things and it's and then pulling it out and it's really fun it's a, it's a it's a great maybe that's the next cookbook <laughs> it's a shabu shabu i want cookbook. a piece um how many years did you live in japan off and on? Uh, off and on for about 17, 18 years, something like that. So let's say you're going to Tokyo next month. What's the first thing you like to eat once you get there and wake up? And, oh, my God. And get through your intermittent fast. Well, the first yeah. thing is I, 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 I always stay at my <laughs> – relax. I, uh, I, I always stay at my friend's house, our, our, our best friends in Tokyo, and she almost always uh, – well, we always get there late. And she always has something spectacular. That's very jet, like like a, like a bowl of uh, natto gohan, which is you know the the uh, the, the fermented uh, soybeans. Oh, you talked but, about that. Yeah, but then it she took you a while to come around to that one, right? Twenty five years. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. well. But uh, <laughs> but then she, I can, the last time we were there, you know, she put this in front of us and she chopped up some myoga, which is sort of a family, the ginger family. It's a very aromatic uh, root vegetable, and a raw gorgeous orange egg on top and i was just like okay this is i mean i don't need anything else this is so good you know and then we go from there you know we always hit up a, a couple of our popular ramen shops and uh oh my wife loves this chain that does sort of a uh, salisbury steak kind of thing and it's mm. in a it's in a foil bag with uh, demi-gloss and mushrooms and they bring it to the table on a sizzling platter and they you know you pull it open and this thing is just bubbling and it's just i mean and it's i mean it's kind of crap it's like a you know 12 dollar dish but it's so good and we go almost every trip we go there and they're all over Tokyo, you know, there's a hundred of them. It's, it's, but it's so good. You're old enough to remember the the TV dinners of the '70s. Well, that's thank you. That's why I'm a cook. <laughs> yeah. Because my mother would say, "My daddy and I are going to the ballet. We left you a hungry man dinner in the freezer." And in 1976, you'd throw them in there, and one half would be ice cold, and the other half would be molten. But you would get that bubbly cherry dessert yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Cobbler. Yeah. Chris, don't, you're a California guy. Don't act like no, you've, no, ever, you've ever like, had a TV dinner. Uh, you're I, busy no, man, eating, I, like, I, foraging your own mushrooms <laughs> in Golden Gate Park or something. 
and and the and the mashed potatoes that are like super creamy with the butter melted on top. Yep, yep. That is that is this that is exactly why I cook professionally. Yeah, even at the time I knew that the Salisbury steak was disgusting, but it was disgusting in a good way. Maybe yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about the egg yolks? I'm looking at this beef and onion rice ball gyodon, which oh I want to eat right oh, now. It's so good. And, and and there's the raw egg yolk on top. Well, Chris and I come from a, the school of thought that an egg yolk on something makes everything better, but you know, I really do. I mean, it's uh, it just adds to the sauce and makes it richer and creamier and, and the delicious. Notion, crack it or pierce it and then sort of mix it in. Yeah. Okay, guys. Be, so, yeah, the book is out now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's like I don't two know. days ago. Yeah. Okay. I, I still have like I still have like the black and white copy. Chris, you haven't sent me an actual copy. Yet. Pretty. Bad. I was feeling pretty bad about it just now. <laughs> I mean, it looks delicious, but in black and white on a Xerox page of piece of paper, it's only so delicious. Is this what we call ugly delicious, Chris? Is yeah. how oh works? no. <laughs> <laughs> that is what. Yeah, ugly delicious. This next season will be in black and white. Um, okay, that'd be a good idea. Or just brown, just brown, brown and white. <laughs> Actually, everybody would be performing behind a screen. Yeah, just in sepia tones. Uh, all right. Before we let you go. Book's out now. Ivan Rahman, Chris Yang. We're going to do lightning round questions. Either or. Vaguely sort of Japanese related. Okay. And you got to answer. Ready? My best. All right. Ultraman or Godzilla? Godzilla. Wow. Yeah, Godzilla. An Ultraman guy. I was never a big Ultraman. Really? With the I've beta watched, capsule? I've, I've, the beta I mean, capsule? I mean, turns into Ultraman? None of my, my kids aren't Ultraman people either. Wow. All right. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, there's some real judgment in this lightning round. Yeah. Egg salad sando or pork katsu sando? Oh, my God. Got to choose one. I'm going to go pork. No, I'm egg salad all the way. Yeah. Heavy egg salad guy. Yeah. I mean, I love, I mean, I, it's almost equal, but. Yeah. I mean, do you, you know, the, put so them together? It's a very simple one. The recipe is just basically eggs, salt, and mayonnaise. Do you add anything to when you're eating it, Chris? I don't. I I, I'm, I just go straight. I mean, like nice eggs and Kewpie mayo. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And I mean, salt. the key is the eggs. Yeah. And the Kewpie. It's got to be Kewpie. Do you do you buy into the hype of the egg salad sando at Conby in LA? I haven't had it yet, but we're having we're doing a we're pop up, up there, there, and yeah. I'm super excited. Oh, cool. To, to so try you guys it. together. To yeah, yeah we're book. doing it. Oh. We're doing it. It's great. Well, I met them at the at feast in Portland uh, yeah. last yeah, week. Exactly. And really I didn't nice. Know you were there. Yeah, yeah. really nice guys, yeah. and we're excited there. It's really nice. I mean, it's the single most beautiful thing I've seen in like three years. They are they are number one restaurant in America. Their hot ten list which came out last week, and big giant centerfold close up centerfold of that sandwich. I was like, is that a bit much? And my art was like, no, no, it's amazing. It's I'm like, it's really in your face. They're like, no, you don't get it. It's a different way of looking at the Instagram that everyone's seen a million times, and this is a different approach. So I'm like, okay. I'm going to trust you on this one. Aisle or window? Aisle. Window, man. Dude, really? I can't. I, gotta, my, I have to lean on me? something to sleep. So you fall, you lean oh my on it. That's God. what everyone says about the window. They want to kind of lean on it to fall yeah. asleep. My, yeah. whole, my whole life is based on how I'm going to pee when I need to. Oh, that's, what, that's not my bad. I got Do you raise your hand, Emma? You agree on that one? Yeah. I drink a lot of water on the plane, so I'm constantly getting up. Oh, but I love bothering Although two Chris, people to get up. Although, yeah. Chris, Chris, who made my United Airlines uh, 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 seat arrangements, has me right in the middle, which is lovely. Oh, I'm, sh- yes, I, and I move so away much. from you, too. Nothing worse in the middle. So I'm like just in, I'm in between Probably two people who just finished having like garlic stew oh, yeah. or something. All right, when in Tokyo, cold sake or cold beer? Cold beer. Do you have a favorite? Asahi. Okay, Chris. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. better than that. Oh, actually, Asahi in America, Suntory when I'm in Japan. Mm, yes. All right. And the little little glasses poured in there? I like no, 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 no. Draft. Draft. Oh, draft draft all the way. Oh, wow. It's got to come okay. out of the machine. Right. So it's and ice cold. Yes, and we're, we're getting one of those machines. So. All right, Chris, this is for you. Ivan Orkin or David Chang? This is so messed up, man. Just give me one more qualification. 
Ivan Orkin or David Chang in what context? You get, do you have one to work with the rest of your life? David Chang's made me a lot more money. It's, it's, I'm sorry, Ivan. Dave's made me a lot more money. <laughs> jet lag in Tokyo or jet lag back home? Well, jet lag in Tokyo. Jet lag's only only mildly uh, uh, dealable if you're on vacation and you have a reason to have to suck it up. Mm-hmm. Once you're home, then you're like you're back at work. What's happening? I don't. I don't. I don't Where I would you rather have the jet lag? I was thinking about Dave and Ivan again. Yeah. How much trouble I'm going to be in now? Um, I'd rather have jet lag. I'd rather have jet lag in Japan, honestly, because you just you 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 just roll with you're it. You're there and you fight yeah. through it. Yeah. Uh, Lawson's or Seven Eleven? You know, Seven Eleven has better desserts. We're talking. We're talking and, Japan, Tokyo, by the way, not yeah, America. Yes. Yeah, Seven Eleven has sick desserts. They really? do all their own custom desserts, and they're really good. Uh, Lawson's has like really good sandwiches and and onigiri. Yeah, he's my Kombini Mart uh, Sherpa, so I go with him. Bourbon whiskey or Japanese whiskey? Oh, bourbon whiskey. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Americans they have an edge there. Yeah. Lost in Translation or Isle of Dogs, both featuring Bill Murray. Oh, Isle of Do- Isle of Dogs, Isle yeah. of Dogs, Isle of Hundred. You know, Lost in Translation. I don't totally get like I. You know, I for have me, not watched it in over a decade, so I'm curious. How well, it holds I watched up. it recently, and I mean, I mean, the fact is that I've always been a I've been a J- Japan geek for a long time. So for a lot of people, Lost in Translation was their entry into everything Japanese, where it wasn't mine. Um, I recently saw Isle of Dogs in the theater. Actually, I saw it in Kichijoji in this really funky, creepy, dirty little theater in Tokyo. And I loved I mean, I was just like over the moon. I thought it was so brilliant. All right, a couple more. Pizza in Tokyo or pasta in Tokyo? Oh, wow. That's a tough one. They're both really They're good. They're both really there. good. I mean, I guess I would say pizza in Tokyo because there's – I have a few spots that I like. I really feel special about. And I, when I go there, I really and it's very it's very Japan, and yet it's very comforting. Are like they all generally more Neapolitan style, where you get the whole pie? No, as the place to a I slice? like right now. Well, the slices they still don't do. Yeah. Uh, my favorite place right now is Pizza Studio Tamaki, which is sort of a hybrid. I'm I'm not a big Neapolitan guy. I can't. I mean, I respect it because mm-hmm. I think good Neapolitan pizza tastes like good bread, and I like it. But it's too wet. And I just, as a New Yorker, well, I just can't the, get my the, head the around it. The center gets too wet, and you have that giant bumble style crust on the outside. It's like you're eating a donut. And I'm like, <laughs> it's a little much. I don't know. I, uh, I have whatever. I'm like, I'll stop. I'll get myself in trouble. Me but, too. But I, and, I, and, I, and like I said, I'll throw in that I respect people who make it well. Yeah. And it's just that I prefer, I'm just yeah. a New Yorker. I prefer a different style pizza. But PS, go to try PST next time you're in it. It's real good. Chris? I haven't had pizza in Tokyo, but we the for the first time I had pasta there, and it wasn't you know the pasta we had is the one we include in the book, which is this spaghetti Neapolitan, which is ketchup spaghetti. It is the greatest thing, ever. and I loved there, it. There, there was, was that the recipe where you're saying if 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 I was on social media right now, I'd be getting an earful from <laughs> yeah, all sorts of people. Basically, <laughs> it's just it's, it's it's sacrilege. It's Italian sacrilege, but it's so delicious. And you know, we went to a little place in Tokyo and had it together last time, and it was just you go downstairs and everybody's wearing like, just coming straight from their work, and they're all wearing these like perfectly crisp white shirts and just scarfing down spaghetti yeah. with 
Tabasco and, and, and grated Parmesan out of the green I mean, it's a ten. It's a Kisa 10 special, you know? It's a cafe special, and it's super old school, and uh, and Chris is right, and then it comes out in this like ridiculous portion. You're like, what? Like that's <laughs> that's like two boxes of spaghetti. What is? And you think it's like a joke. You think it's just like, oh, there. This is like a, a parody of America because it has like a little <laughs> iceberg lettuce salad on the side with uh, ranch dressing. Yep. And yeah. like people just scarf it down, and it's crazy. They just walk out with not, not a single speck on their <laughs> on their shirts. I hate that. It's like unbelievable. I always have a speck or five. Yeah. Uh, final questions because we always ask this, and it has nothing to do with Tokyo. Butter or olive oil? Butter. Yeah, butter. Is that a, is that a, who says olive oil? <laughs> Are you olive oil? I, I, it's not about me, Chris. <laughs> oh, man. He's olive oil. I don't understand. Chris Yang, I have an organ. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Carly, you ready? I'm so ready. Number 10. Yeah. Well, oh, okay. I'm just going to call it. Well, you, didn't, you didn't put numbers. But I I'm didn't. Gonna, all right. I'm starting from the bottom. Great. Embrace fat. Oh, Yeah. I say this all the time. Fat is not just flavor. You have to remember that fat is a cooking medium. If you mm. don't have enough fat in the pan, you are not conducting heat from the surface to the pan of the pan to the element in the dish. So the fat becomes part of the heat source. You can all Harold McGee on me. Yeah, just remember that. You need fat in the pan. And there's nothing worse than not having enough fat and then like especially if you're ever trying to do oh, we're talking about this on one of the other roads when you're trying to do like chicken cutlets with like breading and if there's not enough oil in the pan they get all just kind of dry and scorched and it's ugh. like a combination of yes yeah, soggy and scorched it's the worst bad it's, it's bad all around fat huh number nine mm. zone out your fridge yeah i'm a big believer in like having things in the same place all the time. And I do this in many areas of my kitchen, but also in the refrigerator, so that you're not, you don't have to search around as much. If the buttermilk is always in the dairy area of the refrigerator, if I don't see it there, then that means I don't have it. Yeah. I don't have to go like rooting around, you know what I mean? So I even like to have like condiments on a certain shelf and leftovers, obviously you'd need to jigsaw a little bit depending on what you're fitting but i hate it when the milk's on the wrong side i need to do this because like, <laughs> I, I literally opened my fridge last night and my chest started to tighten yeah. i was like there was just so much crap all over the place and i, I couldn't see anything i knew stuff had been in there from like takeout from a week ago and like i was just like ah messy bed messy head man it, it just it was yeah and then I don't want to get into marriage therapy right now, but, no, uh, but it, it's an issue. I'm, I'm with just, you. I'm going to leave it at that. 100% with you. <laughs> All right, number seven. No, number eight. Sorry. If you would put numbers on these, Carla, sorry, I would know. I'm sorry. Okay, number eight. Treat your oven nice. Yeah, so I'm really guilty of this, and it's something that I need to do better on. Um, I learned this from Rick Martinez, food editor, um, extraordinaire. A clean oven reflects heat so much better than a non-clean one and so when your I'm oven i'm literally texting <laughs> emailing myself i've never cleaned my oven i mean either i don't, and even, it's know, like I don't a, even know how to you it, just do the, the oven clean I, setting? one of those like degreasers it depends what kind of oven you have um but usually there's like those foam cleaners or oven cleaner i'm sure people are going to be like i'm sure there's like ones that are nicer for the world than others but they're degreasers you put them on 
they come off. I'm sure in my case, I'm going to need like a chisel and a freaking like pastry scraper. But what about those things like the self-cleaning oven, like where you do turn it on a special thing? That yeah, goes I think that, and that carbonizes any like remnants yeah. that are in there. But what I what I didn't know was that the surfaces of the oven are shiny and that the their quality reflects heat all around so your oven's gonna operate better yeah my oven sucks right now it's, it's yeah it's bumming me out okay <laughs> really Numbers, no no seriously it's a problem I, oh god my oven my refrigerator i guess <laughs> like i'm not going to get into the home office which is a disaster <sighs> it's another pod all right number seven buy a black steel pan yeah, I really love my black steel pan. I've written about it over the years and from here to there. So black steel is um, an iron, you know, a thin iron pan. So it's like they're often sold as crepe pans. And it has all the heat conductivity of a cast iron at like a third of the weight. Yeah, and the kind of, it's kind of a sh- – whereas some cast irons new are that sort of nubbiness. Exactly. These are really smooth and shiny when you buy them, yeah. right? Yeah, they're very um, slick and they're very – they seem thin in a – like they're too thin, but they mm. they have incredible heat retention and heat conductivity. I use mine all the time. Yeah, I have a little one that I use for like perfect for two like fried eggs that sort of merge together, yes, you know, and totally. it slides right out. What um is there a brand or anything I you like recommend? The, I'm gonna mispronounce it, but it's Bourgeat. It's uh, B O R G E A T. Okay. It's a French brand. You can find them online and they're they're really affordable. Yeah, they're very French, this yeah. sort of pan. As you Trey said, French. kind of a crepe sort of thing. Yeah. Uh have a favorite dish? Question mark. <laughs> cook it forever what the hell what are you talking about so i think that people have this idea that if they make something good then they're like okay good i have that good recipe and then always trying some new recipe and changing in you know like always wanting to do something new i am a big believer make the same thing if it's great make it for the rest of your life so can i this is like something when i was growing up in the district back in the 70s and early 80s, like we would not go out to dinner that much. Right. So there was like a, a handful of restaurants in rotation for the Rappaports. And we would go to them, you know, probably you go to the same restaurant once every four months. And I'd often go to a restaurant, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get the, you know, that pasta dish with the grilled chicken. And my dad goes like, what? You always order the same thing. Why don't you try something different? I'm like, dad, I go here once every four months. <laughs> I like that dish a lot. I want that dish because I haven't had it in four months. Right. It's, so it's not like I always order the same thing. I've had 90 meals in between. I would like that dish. I'm a big believer in, in yes, this practice in restaurants as well. I go to restaurants because I want that thing that they have. That but thing I also, you do. Yeah, that thing you do. I've also sort of realized this as a home cook, that there's things that I make that I love, and I love making them, and I love how they taste, and I love that they fit the right situation or the scenario, and you turn them over and over again, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's the perfect pair of pants. You don't need a different pair I'm just for the sake of getting a different pair. As fall approaches, yeah. you know what I'm going to be making? Tell me. Carlos Duck Confit. There you go. It's happening. Perfect deal, example. Deal with it. Deal with it. All right. Number, I think it's number five. I've lost track. Shop first. Decide what to make second. Yeah. I've ta- I feel like I've talked about this uh, quite a few times when we've talked about my book, Where Cooking Begins. I think that this is like rule number one. 
even though I put it in the middle of the list, um, just get out of the habit of picking your recipe and then going shopping. If you go shopping, you will see what looks great. You will decide what makes you feel hungry. You will get in the mood for something. You will buy the best quality thing that is available instead of walking in with a recipe and then hunting around for ingredients that may or may not be like the best thing that that okay, store has on offer. Will you do this? I think I do this sometimes, actually. Like, I will. I was at the market, the farm stand, a few weeks ago when it was still summer, and saw all these amazing, cool eggplants, like the Japanese ones and the little round ones and the big ones. And I'm like, oh, I got to buy they're, eggplant. They're irresistible. And then what I did was I had my phone. I Googled Bon Appetit space eggplant. Yeah. I didn't go to bonappetit.com and search for eggplant because like, God, God forbid you search for anything on our website. Are you, you would find are, like oven temperature Are you listening? Articles. Are you listening, Kanye Nast Tech Department? Um, do not cut that, Emma. <laughs> I hope they are listening. But, oh, so then I saw like, oh, oh yeah, there's that miso glaze one. Okay, then I'm going to make, make sure, well, maybe I don't have miso, but I have this. And I can basically riff on it that exactly. way. Exactly. Or, or this one has fresh mint and I'm at the market, they've got fresh mint and I'm going to grill it and I'm going to do yada yada. Yeah. Um, so I just I think like that. decide in the moment yeah. and decide when the food is in front of you and do exactly what Adam just said. Okay, I do not do this. Shop the bulk bin, but don't do big batch cooking. Mm -hmm. I don't do either, but so talk to me. Okay, well, the bulk bin is like one of my favorite places in the world, no matter where, what part of the world I'm in. So I have this thing when I go to other cities, I'll like go to the health food store, the New Seasons or the Berkeley Bowl or like wherever. There's and just no like, place more depressing than like health food stores from like the... 80s 90s no there's no, no more and what does that wonderful, smell you walk in there's that oh, weird smell so that's kind of like what does that smell it doesn't smell like food it smells like kind of it's not quite no, it's, stale it smells it's just, like quiet rebellion it smells like and i love it, it smells like powdered things it smells like dried things and i'm like people you need to live a little okay when you buy food like it, integral yoga over on east west 13th yeah, street it smells like I hate that place. hope and you know oh, it smells counterculture like a, it smells like a steam table oh god <laughs> So anyways. It smells like socks and sandals. And, that's a, and lentils. That's a, Lots of lentils. <laughs> okay. So I really enjoy that environment. Um, what I love about bulk bins also is that it's usually the same thing, like rice, beans, dried fruit, that you nuts especially, that you would find packaged from like, you know, whatever brand. Um, but it's just going to cost less per pound when you pull down the lever yourself and get your little twist tie out. Do you think, and do you think they're fresher because... I do. I think the yeah. turnover is higher and they're in that little hermetically sealed thing and they're yeah. just getting replenished. Plus, it's fun and you can let your kid use the scale. Yeah, that's true. Next question before we move on to number four. Um, do you then, when you get home... Oh, is jars. A, the yeah, jars. Yeah, so you then transfer it to... Oh, a we have a yeah. huge jar party. Okay. Yeah, I need some of those, too. <laughs> and labels. Then you bust out the Sharpie, yep. the masking don't, tape. Nope, don't have those in my I made my kitchen. son, uh, my younger son, Cosmo, uh, did, I had some frozen, blue. I had blueberries that were going to go bad, so I froze them. And then I was putting them from the little tray into a pint container. Mm -hmm. This was this morning. And I was like, Cos, here's some masking tape, right? Frozen blueberries on this and put it in the fridge. And he was like, he goes with the pen in his hand he's like blue is spelled <laughs> and i was like you're in fourth grade like what in the hell i was like dude blue and he was like b-l-o <laughs> jesus but then you also say but don't do big batch cooking with your bulk bin purchases yeah so i buy the I buy, this was just me sort of in my little twisted way saying, 
you know, buy things that are sold in bulk. But when you're cooking, actually, I really don't believe in batch cooking. I know it works for some people, but like meal prep or like making a eight times recipe of something and then having it in the fridge for like five days and like, you know what? You don't want that. I don't like those people. Who Who are these people? I don't, I just like buy, you know, buy what you're gonna eat in like the next three to four days and finish it and then move on. No, but but in all seriousness, I don't hate it. I don't. I, like I don't either. People. And I no. did. I did but a I will lot say, of big will, batch will, cooking I, when I had to- tiny toddlers. Yeah, I will say this. So like, I, I don't big batch because I'm too disorganized. But it is nice sometimes where I've made a, a really nice pot of beans that yes. really well seasoned. Like, and I'll put a few like pint containers in the freezer, right. and then on like a week and a half later, like, oh yeah, I've got we those beans. pinto beans. And you yeah. take them out and heat them up, and you're like. You add that to that one other thing you're making, and all of a sudden. But that's like a component thing, not yeah. a meal. No, like well, making no, yeah, like gotcha. a twenty cup batch of chili. Uh, this is a weird one. Always buy knives in person. Yeah, I think people buy chef's knives and slicing knives and paring knives and stuff online a lot because we just buy a lot a, a mm-hmm. lot of things online. I really, really recommend going to a store where we, you can pick a knife up, feel it, hold it, get the weight of it, see how it fits in your hand, make sure that the length of the blade feels natural for you. That's like when you're cooking, that's an extension. That's your tool. That's like 100%. your, you know, that's what you're using. And I thought that this was so sort of romantic and overblown when the when the first person said this to me. It was one of the sous chefs at one of my very first line cook jobs, and he... Um, I got my first Japanese knife and he was like, your relationship to the ingredient is going to like be totally different. And I was mm. like, oh my God, that's like really extreme. <laughs> and then I got this knife and he I was, was like. He was probably hanging out integral yoga. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow, I feel like I'm in control. In a di- it was just in a you, different way. Yeah, and you only know that until you pick it up. And like, yeah, maybe you, some people like to, a knife to be heavier. Some right. people want a lighter one. Is that handle? What's the shape of the handle? Does it fit your palm? Yeah, like, there's all those knives things that like. Brad Leone loves and uses every day that I pick them up and I'm like this just feels I feel like you know I'm picking up the giant's knife yeah, and I'm just he like can't he has giant meat hands meaty hands he's like a giant <laughs> character from Game of Thrones yeah and if I ordered that online I would be like oh it looks totally cool you Brad, know Brad told me to get it so Brad I'm buy told it. me to get it Brad <laughs> don't cook with headphones on parens mm. parens but definitely get into podcasts so people forget that they need to use their ears. And I think that Ooh, I figured this out because I have a galley kitchen and my prep area is opposite my um, cooktop. So a lot of times I have something going in the pan and I have to turn around and turn my back to the stove to go back to my cutting board. And so I rely a lot on hearing. Yeah, I know when the water's boiling. I know when the fat is sizzling. I know when something starts to sound dry um, or whatever it is. I could Last night I could hear the potatoes like crisping up in mm. the oven. Um, and people washing dishes with your headphones in is probably okay. But hmm. if you're noise canceling, you're going to miss like half the experience of cooking. Yeah, when I'm home, I, I, I wear my headphones all the time everywhere. Now I'm one of those persons on the subway walking down the street. But I, when I'm home, it's kind of a it's a moment to sort of take them off. Yeah. And and I still, yeah, I, I agree. I love to listen to something, whether it's music or a podcast while cooking, especially if I'm by myself. Um, but yeah, I like to have the headphones out. Yeah, you got it. You got, I mean, we you cook with your senses. Yeah. You, the smell, sight. Ear, I think people think hearing. about looking and smelling and touching, but they forget that like cooking is very auditory. Okay, number one, 
I'm going to read this, but I'm going to preface this by saying, Carl, we do need to sell subscriptions <laughs> to this magazine. And you yes. can subscribe to Bon Appetit by going to bonappetit.com slash get the mag. Nice. Um, you get an awesome deal for like, I don't know, like super affordable. It's like a dollar a I know. It's ridiculous. Minute, so support, su- support what we do. Honestly, we appreciate it so much because everything we talk about in this podcast comes from the magazine, all the recipes, all the everything. It starts with the magazine. Uh, so if you want to support us, please subscribe to the magazine. It costs like a dollar an issue. Uh, Bonapete.com, get the mag. And with that, your number one rule, stop relying on recipes. Yeah, I just think that as much as I love recipes, and it is literally my job. You literally wrote a cookbook. I literally yeah. wrote a cookbook. And I you're literally working on, you're re- working on another, just and, remind you. You know, Bon Appetit is filled with recipes. We publish about 40 every month. But I think if you're a cook, if you want to really cook, free yourself up from the recipe, the, you know, the shackle of the recipe, <laughs> and just cook in the moment. You talk about this all the time. You were joking about it the other day. You were like, okay, well, the number one thing about me is I don't follow the recipes. I just, like, <laughs> get in there, man, and start cooking. And I think that once recipes are great to teach you how to cook and give you confidence, but you should also, like, cook without recipes. Yeah. Or or, or res- use – I like the notion of using recipes as a suggestion – not as a rule that right. like hey like that miso glaze you know eggplant that I made the other day well I didn't have miso so I'm like well I can I don't have that but I can probably use this and I don't have fresh mint but I do have fresh basil and I can approximate the same vibe on the grill and yada yada and it was delicious yeah and when you start learning techniques and feeling more confident about your ability to take something from a raw state to a cooked state like do that just do it do it on your own season it up taste it it's all good all good and with that Carla Music your 10 cooking rules thanks so much anytime the Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced and edited by Emma Wartsman with additional programming help from Carrie Polis and Elise Namine. our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman we have new episodes every Wednesday and if you want to reach out to us about this episode or any other episode Email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>